On this episode of Movies Ruin My Life, I'm calling all of our panelists at home and making them talk about their favorite punk rock documentaries. This is part one with James, Paula, Jess, and Brent. Okay, so this is the first in a five-part series on our favorite punk rock documentaries. Now, it was very hard to narrow down this list. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, do three films today, and then we're going to have an episode coming out next Wednesday and that same week Sunday. And then the last two episodes are going to come out on the Wednesdays of the week after and the week after that. If you're having trouble finding it, Check out our SoundCloud page. You can follow the playlist there as the new episodes come out every week. Or you can go to uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, whatever your podcatcher of choice is. Subscribe to us there and then you'll get the new episodes in your feed. And it's easy. Uh, you can also just follow us at MoviesRoomMyLife.com and uh, they'll be posted there because it's our website. Now the three films that we're talking about today are three that had a particular emotional resonance with some of my fellow panelists who I took the opportunity to phone up late at night while they were out doing things and uh, living their lives. And it was really amazing to me some of the moments that stuck out in their mind from these films. So our three films today are American Hardcore, The Punk Singer, and Refused is Fucking Dead. It was like a comic hitting a planet, you know what I mean? It, it came out of left field. Normal people did not listen to hardcore, and we liked it that way. It was fast, it was loud, it was angry, it was unpredictable. We were just kids going wild. Okay, so first up is 2006's American Hardcore. Paul Rockman's look at a DIY scene in America is a beautiful and interesting piece and one that resonates big time with a lot of our panelists because we have been or are touring musicians. But yeah, I, I think there's definitely value in that. And in terms of the DIY culture and that kind of thing, just to sort of like run with it, is that like, yeah, you can do it yourself. You can put together an incredible product. You can start a movement. You can have something that looks professional without investing you know the money and the networking to make it professional you really can do it yourself it is really like a literal label a literal term and i mean that kind of stuff i mean personally i find satisfaction in that like every project i've worked on every you know band i've helped out or been in or you know show or that kind of thing when it all comes down to at the end it's just kind of like guys we can do this we have the skills and the resources we have the wherewithal to put on something amazing for like four hours now i agree with brent the idea that a bunch of kids could start a musical movement, start a scene, start a network that travels across North America is just an astonishing thing. And, and, and it's been a blueprint for every great scene that's come out since. The DIY culture that they discuss in this film is something that all musicians can relate to. Um, fabricating your own records, setting for hours and cutting out inserts and making your own merch and traveling around in broken down vehicles. We've all been there. Yeah, there was a scene with uh, Ian McKay in the movie when he's talking. I think it's McKay or Mackay. Mackay, yeah. yeah. Um, where he's talking about the early days of Discord Records when they're going through and 
assembling all the records one by one. I remember doing the same thing when uh, when I was playing in my band in high school. Like we wanted to put out put out a cassette. Like this would have been would have been like 1997 it was the best way to do it so i remember actually going through and we had our ep dubbed cd this guy in toronto did it um i think it was wounded paw records i think he's still around yeah it was nice enough to put our uh our ep on the cd and i remember dubbing it on the cassettes one, one by one i had three tape decks hooked up to a disc fan through all these splitters so I'd record three copies at once, and I remember cutting out all the artwork. And when I saw that scene in the movie, obviously they were doing it a long time before before I was or we were. And yeah, it just kind of kind of took me back. I don't know. Now maybe I'm a little biased because I also love the music from this scene. It's been an important part in my life, but. The more important message in this film, whether you like these bands or not, whether you're a Black Flag fan, whether you're into Cro-Mags or Circle Jerks or Bad Brains, which if you're not into any of those bands, like especially Bad Brains, like what the hell's wrong with you, man? But in any case, (laughs) the important thing in these films is to see how simple of an idea it is to just pick up a guitar and start a movement, start a culture. If you don't like what's on the radio, then fucking fix it. That's the bad brains right there, where it's just like, we can do it faster and harder than you can, so what's up? You know, like, I've heard the quote from bad brains just being like, oh, we saw these guys playing fast and playing hard. We're like, we could do that. We could do it better. And we did. And I'm like, yeah, you did. <laughs> you know? This isn't the first time in music that the culture and that people on the streets has obviously been way ahead of the major players. But what's amazing is how far this scene went before anyone ever realized. You're talking about the first major penetration of what could be considered punk rock out of that scene in the 90s. And it's crazy to think of the influence that this scene's blueprint has had on how music travels. Book Your Own Fucking Life wasn't a website first. It was a magazine. And before you could just hop on a website like MySpace or MP3.com when they were around, and now, say, for example, a site like Bandcamp, before you could just sift through music on the internet, people were sharing records. I remember it. It happened. Now, the last thing I want to mention on this film is how perfect of an era it is. The Reagan era in America is just this throwback to 50s culture and just the perfect breeding ground for all that angst and teen rage that propelled this scene forward and then when you talk about things like a straight edge movement and all of these things that in a marketing guru's hands are pure gold and they were all just created by a bunch of kids who wanted to play fucking loud music and that's really cool man so check out american hardcore if you haven't already if you haven't stopped the episode to check it out it's an amazing one and it's definitely definitely worth watching or re-watching. Hey everybody, are you guys ready? I already knew I was going to be some kind of artist, I just didn't know what kind. We were all trying to make feminist work, like it was just totally impossible for me to keep it out. 
I'd read Toby's fanzine, and she was talking about feminism and punk rock in the same sentence. Toby was like, do you know if I bathe? No. Do you want to start a band? <laughs> Toby was like, I think we should ask this girl Kathleen to be the singer. It was making music a voice for a lot of people that hadn't been heard before. Right when Bikini Kill started, right when grunge was like going off the hook, right when Nirvana was exploding, it was a wild scene. All right, so next up on our list of our favorite punk rock documentaries is 2013's The Punk Singer. I love this film. Cini Anderson's look at the life of Kathleen Hanna, her run from Bikini Kill to La Tigra, and the Julie Rune solo album in between and then obviously it's now a band what an amazing fucking life man what an amazing woman and while i have a lot of emotions on this film i think that it would be better if i go to the back of the room and bring the ladies to the front i'd like to read for you something that jess wrote for the show i couldn't get her on the phone for this episode so she was cool enough to write a little something for you guys, and I'd like to read it for you now. I came across The Punk Singer on Netflix. I love documentaries about musicians, so it was a no-brainer that I watch it. I watched again and again. I cried for how amazing this artist and activist is. Kathleen Hanna is a fucking force, and I was almost mad that I was just discovering this amazing human. I've led a pretty sheltered life in terms of the exposure to violence and aggression that Kathleen and the other interviewees talk about in this film. It opened my eyes about feminism in general, and that probably the reason I can feel reasonably safe at a show is because women fought for it hard and claimed their space in a male-dominated arena. I never really went to a lot of punk shows because I felt that most punk bands were like a degraded old zine. A shitty copy of a terrible copy of a bad copy of an okay copy of a good copy of a great original. I didn't think much of the moshers because it just seemed like stupid and decidedly alpha male behavior. I definitely didn't appreciate the fact that wanting to be close to the stage, to see a band you like play up close, meant that you were probably going to get hurt, even if you obviously weren't wanting in on the action. Luckily, I live in Toronto, so the only real danger is having someone roll their eyes too hard or cross their arms too tightly while watching a band. Still, I took notice of how few women played in bands, and if they did, they were hardly the leader. And I definitely noticed that the women in the audience were largely girlfriends of bands. I was one of them. I overheard guys saying women musicians were hot before they said anything about their songs or talent. I can frame these thoughts in a feminist way now because I'm more vocal in my feminism. But when I was younger, it just felt weird and I felt out of place. It sucked because I'm a huge music fan and have always supported my friends' bands with honest feedback and critique. But because I was a girl at a show, I was probably some groupie wannabe. The film also confirmed how I felt about punk for a long time already. I never looked punk. But I liked listening to it, the electricity of it. I felt punk, however, because I hated the establishment and most rules created by authority figures I never authorized. I never felt like I would fit in at punk shows because I don't like moshing or have tattoos or being or doing whatever the punk gods have deemed acceptable. 
Punk isn't a genre. It's an ethos. The attitude with which you approach life. Fighting against the tyranny of established systems of thought and creating new ways of doing things. Then breaking those down until everyone is free to be who they are. Punk is the reaction by the disempowered. So why wouldn't punk be feminist? That's beautiful, Jess. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's not a good thing. No, being a girl shows no fun. You know, that's one thing that you learn very quickly is that you'll never be close up at a show ever because you're either going to get hit or hurt, trampled or groped or like what have you, you know, like all kinds of bad things can happen to you in there. And they they happen like every time, like there's never been a show where I've actually, I was punched in the back at one show. It was horrible. I couldn't sleep on my back for like a month. And you see, you know, Bikini Kill and just the message that they're giving, like there's just so much anger there. And I think they addressed that right on, like dead on. There's There's always been that anger. And a lot of people, not everybody has it, but there are a lot of men out there that would go to shows and purposely kick the shit out of women because they could, right? So for them to divide the men from the women and have the girls up front and be able to have fun, it's, that just seems so cool to me. Like, actually address the issue. It's so interesting to hear Paula's perspective on things even today being a photographer and having to get those close shots, getting up and getting where people want to be to see bands and it's so interesting because i met paula through shows going to big shows local shows and every size show in between many years ago and became friends out of it and you can't help but wonder how people like kathleen hannah and the message that feminists in punk rock championed kept these young kids, these young girls going out and enjoying music and, and, and taking in an experience that in a lot of ways, even today, is is painfully still overwhelmingly masculine in nature. Whatever the fuck that means. Like, I mean, she was always an awesome singer. She was always, I think she always did what she loved. And her stage presence was awesome. Like, I would love to be at one of those shows. Like, if I could get in a time machine right now and be there, it'd be so fun. That's like the ultimate, right? You just don't, you don't get more feminist than that. <laughs> yeah, you know, sitting there reading my bitch magazine, listening to Ani DeFranco, right? And like, going to shows, buzzing my hair off. Like, yeah, that was, that's how I grew up. That's what really, that's what fueled my interest in, in music, right? And shows and art. All right, so go and check out The Punk Singer. It's a great flick, and you're probably going to want to watch it a half dozen times after you see it the first one. So, enjoy. Yeah, totally. Ironically, I am sitting in a room that was my husband's high school bedroom in front of his CD collection, which I, I guess has been untouched since then. And it's like, I'm looking for a band that has a female singer, and I swear to you, I can't find one. Not a single one. No women. Oh my God, <laughs> it's like just the irony of it, you know? <laughs>
All right, Refused or Fucking Dead, 2006. This came out. What an interesting and unique piece from one of my favorite bands of all time. A band that truly did change my life. I'm getting goosebumps just saying it here. The film was made by Christoph Steen, a member of the band. He's a guitar player in the band. Uh, <laughs> and I'm really excited to be talking about this one, if you can't tell. I don't even know where to begin, so I'm just going to go back to the telephone conversation that I had with Brent earlier this evening. Uh, I see that movie as one of the only punk rock documentaries that actually is mainly about the fact that the, the band is falling apart. Like there, everyone yeah. always talks about how great the fucking scene is and how vibrant and, and everything, and then, and then it kind of went downhill, and then people just stopped playing. But there's a lot of stuff that happens before that, and I love mm -hmm. that they go into that so deeply. And we've all been there in our bands, you know? Well, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, that's what I'd sort of just say in response to it and just say in general, even just offering, you know, some anecdotal, let's call it wisdom for lack of a better term, is that, you know, like somebody like Refuse, I mean, like, you know, seminal band, trailblazers, that kind of thing, the shape of punk to come, such a prescient, you know, title for a record because it really did influence the next 10 years of what was coming out of post-punk and that DIY scene in, in that regard, right? Um, and I mean, like, just, yeah, like you said, we've all been there. We've all had that experience of, you know, things are looking up, things are great. And then, you know, whatever disillusionment sets in, whether it's with the results, whether it's with each other, whether it's with the music itself, whether it's just with the scene and you just kind of get to this point where you're, you're just, you're checked out, you know? And I mean, and I get that. And I, I did appreciate that in the movie where it was just like, it was pretty honest. And, you know, I'm not saying this is an expose, but it does sort of like pull back the curtain a little bit and let people realize that like, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily the kind of glory you might expect. And I mean, that was the one where like the final scene was when like they pulled the power at the basement show in the States. Right. And you know, the cops pulled the power and the band keeps going and, or the band like, you know, still chanting and the crowd is all chanting with them. And I mean, like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like I've had shows like that, not that specifically, but I mean, just moments like that where you're like, this is fantastic, you know, but it is, it's in the moment. It is something you sort of achieve something for yourself. It's something you sort of like carry with you. But, Outside of that, you know, the 100, 200 people that are there, nobody fucking cares, right? And so something like, you know, the refused are fucking dead, the band is dead, rather be dead or better off dead, and on it goes, all that kind of stuff where you're just like, that that sort of ethos, you know, it's, it's I, I like that they brought it back to that because that sort of ethos tends to get forgotten, you know, and we all have an ego and we all get egocentric at times, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it is sort of how you temper yourself and how it tempers you. And so just to bring it back to that, or just like rather be dead than be on some like, you know, North American tour, we're playing a basement. We're a huge band. We're well-regarded. The cops shut us down. The crowd is loving it. And this is the end, you know? And I mean, like, you know, and they weren't the first people to do what they did. Like there were like, you know, look at something like Drive Like Jehu years earlier, who were really touching on the same stuff in a lot of regards. Or, you know, like, look at like, and again, like I, I, I I was saying before, the the book, Our Band Could Be Your Life, just that sort of exploration and, and all those interviews with all these, like, amazing seminal 80s punk bands, they're all, like, living in offices, sleeping under desks, and, you know, eating 7-Eleven every day if they can even afford it. And you're like, these are the guys who influence generations and millions and change the landscape of, like, so many aspects of the art. And it's not even that they're normal people, it's that they're almost nobodies in certain regards. Right. And I think that sort of slap in the face, that sort of wake up call is just something for the kids, 
or even you know the thirty year olds who still have you know these illusions of grandeur delusions of grandeur <laughs> um all right, so this is as we were saying, a really unique look at being in a band, one that you don't get from a lot of documentaries. You don't get to see the downside of being in bands a lot of the time. So it's a really interesting piece. At a 39-minute runtime, it's really more of a short film, so I really suggest that you take the 39 minutes out of your life to take a look at it. Uh, it's a little artsy, not going to lie to you. It's got subtitles. That's maybe frustrating to some of you, I don't know, but there's not a lot of subtitles, so I think you can make it through. I trust you. I remember when I first heard New Noise, I was like, uh, whatever, just another band. Uh, and for whatever reason, I was still inspired. I liked it enough that I went out and, and, and picked up a Refuse record, and of course I pick up the wrong one. I do that all the time. I constantly pick up back catalog stuff from bands, and I picked up songs to fan the flames of discontent. <laughs> which is an amazing record, and ironically, the last track that you ever heard this band play is Rather Be Dead, or at least until they recently returned, which was a very happy moment for adult Brandon. And it's funny because I mentioned that to Brent during our conversation, and he said this. Recently, I have had that conversation myself. Of like, how much of this is actually still good? And how much of this is just, you know, my rose-colored glasses and my high school gym dances, you know? And my answer to that, Refused holds up. Particularly, as he said earlier, The Shape of Punk to Come is an amazing record and definitely a trendsetter for what came out later. Because of Refused, I was able to get into bands like Seisha, like Orchid, like Hot Cross, Tora Tora Torrance, all the stuff that I had never even thought about getting into because I was into heavy stuff and I had no fucking idea what heavy was. Because emotionally heavy and resonance and conviction and how much that means had never crossed teenage Brandon's mind. And this film for me was bittersweet in that way. Because I love this band so much, seeing it while they were still broken up was eye-opening in the way that I hope it will be for you, but also heartbreaking. So check out all of these docs. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back on Wednesday of next week with another episode in this series, as well as on Sunday, as I said at the beginning. And then the next two Sundays, you'll get the last two episodes and on the Wednesdays you're going to get probably panel discussions. I think I'm going to try and kidnap East and maybe if Jesse's back from vacation, I'd love to get him in here because we miss him around here. Uh, please reach out to us this week. We'd love to talk to you. You can reach us on Twitter at Mermal Podcast at MRML Podcast. You can reach me on Twitter at Not Brandon Fleet. You can email the show at show at moviesroommylife.com and visit us at moviesroommylife.com sign up for the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio SoundCloud TuneIn Radio, pretty much anywhere that you can hear podcasts we're there, if we're not where you listen to podcasts, let us know and we'll get there for you thanks for hanging out with us
I can EQ it so you sound decent. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so I sound decent? What does that mean? <laughs> well, I'm you're gonna, on a phone. I'm going to fix your grammar. <laughs> I'm going to make you sound like a man, obviously. Like. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know what? That might be the best way to get my point across is to have a man voice. That would be a very interesting experiment to have, like, opinions um, spoken out in a man voice and a woman voice and just see how people react. It would be a great social experiment. <laughs>